Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to The Conversation. Now, if you've been listening to me lately, you've understood that I've been talking about sub-personalities. Now, if you haven't yet listened to the episode where I really dove deep into this topic, that is episode 219. But just to state briefly here, a subpersonality is an aspect of our personality that develops at different stages in our development. It is an aspect that is splintered off from our main identity. And it's typically created in order to relate to a social dynamic, a, a relationship dynamic, a self-image dynamic, like who am I in relationship to this experience? And it can be developed in response to trauma or stress or a number of other situations. These subpersonalities are limited in scope. They usually have a singular vision, a singular strategy to address whatever problem they were created to deal with. And it's like Maslow. It's like Abraham Maslow said that if the only tool you have is a hammer, pretty soon everything begins to look like a nail. And these parts, these subpersonalities, when they're developed, they have a singular mission. They have a singular approach. And not all one size fits all. And so as we develop, you know, we have these conscious intentions and these subpersonalities when faced with fear, when faced with stress, they go into action and they sometimes, or we sometimes have the experience that our intentions are self-sabotaged. When in actuality, our part, our subpersonality is actually just looking out for our benefit. Now, part of evolving on the spiritual path is bringing the unconscious processes into conscious awareness and then making conscious choices about those aspects that we want to maintain and remain in our self-identity, in our experience of life. And so ideally, the subpersonalities, in order to create a balanced persona and a balanced experience of life, a sense of congruence in your expression, ideally, we reintegrate these subpersonalities that were splintered off. We bring them back into the whole, and there's a process involved in doing that, but it's not out of the realm of you know the capacity of any one of you to do it on your own. I do guide people through it through a coaching process, and typically in the past, I've charged $2,500 to do that. It's typically between three and six sessions. And the end result is a sense of self that is congruent, that is aligned, as well as a deeper level of rapport with your inner systems. Now, in episode 219, I did say that I was taking on three to five people, and I've taken on five people as part of a beta program, a case study program for an upcoming book. And in those case studies, people are working with me intimately, one-on-one, with their particular situation. Now, other people have been knocking on the door since the program's been closed, and I was only going to do the five, but I think I'll do this again. I'll make this available again in about two months. It's going to take me approximately eight weeks to work through the process with these five people. 
And so if you've listened to episode 219, you're listening to this episode, and you decide that you would like to be a participant in the next round, then send me an email at support at com. That's support at com. There is an investment required to participate, but it is far less than the 2500 And then again, as I often do, I have discussions with my wife, and I was telling her how much fun I was having in reinvesting myself in the subpersonality aspect, and she suggested that I create a certification program for people, coaches, that would like to take on this process and work with clients of their own. And personally, I love the idea, and I, I, I just need to put out there that it's just an idea so far, but I can see it being a reality by the end of the year. And so depending on when you listen to this, if you're a candidate or if you're interested in possibly becoming certified, also send me an email at support at com. Today, I'd like to talk about a sub-personality that shows up for a lot of people, and it has come up in several of the discussions that I've already had, and that is the sub-personality of the perfectionist. And so I want to talk about how a perfectionist is created, how that sub-personality is generated to begin with, and then how it shows up in your life. Now, something I've always found interesting is that perfectionists Well, they, you know, sometimes people take on this persona, they'll say, I'm a perfectionist. Yet, what I found interesting, they are not a perfectionist across the board. Meaning that when they are involved in a project or engaged in an activity that will be seen, experienced by other people, that's when they become a perfectionist. You see, if it's something that only they will experience that nobody else will really find out about it, they will tend to cut the corners just a little bit. Possibly a lot. A lot more than they would if it was going to be viewed, experienced, or received by somebody else. The other impact of being a perfectionist on your life is typically you will not engage in new activity if you don't feel like you can achieve a mastery level very fast. If you're going to endure a learning curve, if you're not going to be performing up to snuff, up to speed, until a period of time goes by, most perfectionists or people that claim they're perfectionists will not engage in that because they don't want to experience a sense of failure, a sense that they are not enough. So how is a perfectionist born? How is this subpersonality created? As I've indicated earlier, a subpersonality is typically born out of a trauma response or a stress response. And so a perfectionist subpersonality, that aspect of perfectionism, is generated when we experience trauma with a parent, typically. Now, it's important for me to point out that just because an experience was traumatic doesn't necessarily mean that everyone viewing the experience or viewing the circumstance would consider it to be a traumatic experience. It's how we perceived it. It's the story that we're telling in that moment that makes it traumatic, traumatic to us. So with that said, some seemingly innocent or innocuous experiences could be perceived as being traumatic based on the perception of you or another person in that situation. 
And then there are other circumstances and events that occur that most anyone looking at it would agree that was traumatic. So just understand that trauma could be taken in, absorbed, identified with when it may not be that big a deal. And you might not even be aware that it was a traumatic experience. Or we see a parent going through a lot of pain, a lot of stress. And from our limited perspective as a child, we think that what's going on with them has something to do with us. And so, in order to relieve the pain of one of our parents, to relieve the pain of the stress, to not rock the boat, we become a good girl or boy. We become a perfectionist. We want to control our behavior so we don't add to the situation. We create the illusion or the illusion in our mind that how we're behaving is going to impact our parents negatively or impact a loved one. Now, sometimes this dynamic is also a traumatic response when a parent is dealing with something and they are overtaxed, they are, they are overwhelmed, and they have a negative response or a critical response to us. We are at the effect. And so in order to avoid that pain that's inflicted on us, we become a perfectionist. We become the good person. We become the good boy or girl that doesn't do anything wrong. We do that to avoid the pain, possibly physical pain, or the criticism that follows of us not living up to some expectation. The resulting behavior from adopting this subpersonality of perfectionism is one, you could freeze, you could withdraw, because there's this feeling, there's sense, there's this state change within you that I just can't do anything right. So why even try? There's this inner dialogue that I'm never good enough. I'll never be good enough. Or no matter what I do, I just can't please the other people in my life. And so the resulting emotional state is that of depression or a less than happy persona, a persona of solitude, a persona of withdrawal, and a persona of not putting yourself in any situation where you might be judged. The flip side of that behavior is that a person could become an overachiever. And what does an overachiever look like? Someone that puts in extra effort, extra work in order to look good, in order to make sure that everything's just right, make sure it's perfect, make sure all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. They become obsessive about doing it right, doing it perfectly. And if you can't do it perfectly, there's no sense in doing it. Because if we're less than perfect, then frankly, we're not enough. We're not good enough. We're not lovable enough. We don't receive the accolades. We don't get the pat on the back. We are less than. The other feeling that may come up or we think that we're avoiding, we're avoiding rejection. We're avoiding failure. I just can't tolerate failure. Again, it points back to that idea that if I fail, if I'm rejected, if I'm not, you know, perfect, then... I'm not enough. I'm not lovable enough. I'm just not enough. I'm not enough for the situation. I'm not enough for the people in my life. Now, one of the reasons why I'm talking about it in this episode, it is so pervasive. Virtually every person on the planet has some version of this persona in their makeup. 
And yes, I didn't say it in this episode, but in 219, episode 219, I did say every person has subpersonalities in their makeup. Mainly because we don't come out of the womb a finished product. Our self-identity, our self-concept is developed along the way, situation by situation, moment by no moment. And so we have layers of persona. We have layers of strategies. And sometimes we experience ourselves as being in conflict. And that's the nature of subpersonalities. Because different personalities or subpersonalities are created at different times, sometimes they are at odds with each other. Because frankly, they don't talk. Now, to stay on this topic of the perfectionist subpersonality, it exists in us as a double-edged sword, a two-sided sword. It can cut both ways. So on one hand, it can be an attribute. In fact, it is the fuel for a lot of achievement. Much of my study, much of my development, much of my mastery in my life occurred because I didn't feel as if I was enough. So I was constantly trying to, attempting to, make up for some perceived deficit. But what happened to me, and what often happens to others, when you are motivated to make up for some perceived deficit, is that you never reach a point where you actually feel accomplished. Never reach a point where you actually feel like you have it all under control. You always have the experience that you could do better. You could be better. It's never quite enough. That's one of the potential fallouts. That's one of the potential pitfalls of being caught up in this uh, merry-go-round of activity. Another pitfall or a negative aspect of this persona, this perfectionist persona, is that you may not ever begin a lot. You may actually stop. You may start and realize that I'm just not going to accomplish this. I'm not going to reach a level of competency as fast as I want. So I give up. I quit. I'm going to pack up my toys and go home. Or another pitfall is that you'll have a bevy of excuses and rationalizations on why it won't work, why it's not for you. And when I say bevy, that means a lot, a large group, a large collection. And if you're from Texas, you can say you have a whole mess of excuses, a whole mess of rationalizations on why you're just not up to snuff, why it's not working for you, why you don't even want to do it. So you might be asking, how do I heal this part? How do I reintegrate? How do I solve this problem of perfectionism that I adopted at such a young age? Well... I want to begin by saying that this part is working on your behalf. It's not meaning to self-sabotage. It's not meaning to impact your life in a negative way. It has the best of intentions. It has and operates from a positive intention, a benevolent nature that's oriented around supporting you. It really wants to survive, and it wants to do so in a way that you get the accolades, that you get the validation, But, you know, if you've done this for any length of time, you know that you'll never reach a point of truly being validated. You You might get some compliments here and there. You might even hear a job well done. But it never quite seems to be enough. So how do we begin healing this part? And the first part is to acknowledge the intention. Acknowledge, I know I want the best for you. And this is where you go inside and pretend you're talking to your sub-personality, that perfectionist part of you. 
And you might call it your perfectionist, or you can call it by some other name. Allow your other than conscious mind to pick a name that is most suitable. It might be Roger, or it might be Winifred. It might be Horatio. Who knows what the name is? Allow your other than conscious mind to come up with it. And whatever it is, use it. This is where you don't need to be a perfectionist. As long as your perfectionist agrees with the name. And you can check in with it as you talk to your inner self. You can ask, how's it sound? They might say, great, thumbs up. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite comfortable with that name. So you just work with it until you arrive at a consensus. And so you want to build rapport, this inner rapport with this part. And then ask, what is your intention around perfection? With this internal dialogue, you ask, what are you trying to achieve? What are you doing for me? What's the overall intention? And it may be closely aligned with something I've already suggested, already talked about in this episode, or or it may be something else, something that is personal to you. Whatever it is, acknowledge. Acknowledge that intention. That's a worthwhile intention. We always want to honor that part. And then we also want to honor the work that has done for us in the past. If you've recognized that this perfectionist part of you has been responsible for you writing the book or getting the job or getting the girl or doing well on the job, getting the raise, whatever it is, acknowledge that part of you and the value that it has and that it creates for you. And then you can say, but there are areas where it kind of gets in the way. I know you're well-intended, but, you know, I can't be perfect in everything. And there's no perfection in the world. And because of that, this is how I'm left feeling. And you may want to insert any feeling that comes up as a result of your perfectionism when you fall in less than perfect. And I'll list a few, and then you can add whatever you want for yourself. I feel less than. I feel guilty for not even starting because I might screw up. I might fail. There's things I don't even try because we might not be perfect. And frankly, I don't think anybody could be perfect in a lot of things. There is no perfection in the natural world. We are perfectly imperfect. But when we try and operate in the world as if we could be perfect, it creates a lot of stress on me. It's really stressful and is tiring. And I always feel like I'm a fraud. I never feel like I'm quite enough. And so while I acknowledge your intention, I acknowledge the effort that you put into this, I have to say, it's just not working for me. So I'm wondering, and you're talking to your perfectionist self, so I'm wondering if you would consider some alternative ideas, some different strategies in order to achieve the same result. You see, if we have a lot of different tools or a lot of different approaches to achieve the same result, I'm confident you will pick the most appropriate one and still maintain my sense of self, my sense of identity, and that I am enough, even though I may not be perfect. And this is where you listen to your perfectionist self. Is it willing to entertain some alternative ideas? If so, then we'll move on to the next step. But if not... We ask a deeper question. Why not? Why not consider some alternatives? And then depending on the answer, it may beg a deeper question. 
But the intention around having these deeper conversations in, in uh, I guess, when confronted with resistance from a part is to arrive at a win-win solution. How can that part win and how can you win? So once you arrive at an agreement, you want to tap into or tap the shoulder of a creative subpersonality or a problem-solving subpersonality, some inventive part of you that can assist in creating some new alternatives, new strategies to achieve the same result. And then you ask your subpersonality, the perfectionist subpersonality, would you be willing to work with my creative part in order to come up with some new solutions? And so again, for the sake of brevity, I'm going to assume that this perfectionist part would agree. Of course, sure, I'll entertain some new ideas. And then you charge, you give the mission to your creative self. I would like you to come up with three to five new behaviors, new strategies that my perfectionist part can adopt, can integrate into their behavior. Could you do that? And then 99 times out of 100, your creative part is only too willing to create something for you and for all concerned. And then you give yourself, your other than conscious mind, a mission, a suggestion that beginning now and over the next three to five days, that you will integrate these new behaviors into your expression, into your behavior, and make them part of your persona. One of those strategies might be to accept in the beginning, some messy results, less than perfect behavior, but all in the pursuit of becoming better, achieving mastery. When you first started to walk, you did not just get up and start running around the room. You fell a lot. You failed a lot. See, there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. That's a strategy, a belief that one can adopt. Is it not? A medical doctor may spend 8-10 years achieving a level of certification only to open up a practice where they get to practice on real live people. Same thing with a lawyer. They spend all this time in school only to open up a practice. And I have to tell you, in my interaction with lawyers, a lot of them are still practicing. They're still trying to get it right. They're still trying to figure it out. And uh, it always it's always interesting when they actually charge me to research how to do something. When I was a manager at Federal Express, and we would plan and plan and plan in order to have things work out, keep things in budget, have the system run smoothly, all the logistics be in place, and then we would work the plan. And I have to tell you, I think maybe, maybe three times over five years, the plan worked. Everything came across or according to plan. Went perfectly. In fact, I was able to go home early those days. But most days, most days it was far from perfect. There was always something going on, always a contingency plan we had to put in place, always dancing. Speaking of dancing, speaking of one of my favorite quotes from the movie Scent of a Woman, when you get tangled up doing the tango, you simply tango out of it. You just keep dancing. And so it may not go perfect, but you act as if it's exactly the way it was supposed to go. And so you just keep on keeping on. 
And so as we re-educate this part, re-educate this sub-personality, we have to change some of the mindset, some of the beliefs that it operates from in order to move forward. And once we get that agreement, we can pull it back into our being, actually gather it up in our hands and bring it in to our heart space. Bring it as part, an integral part of our being. So what you just heard is one of the processes that I use in reintegrating a subpersonality back into the whole. Now, while most people have three to four really strong subpersonalities that exert their, their presence in their, your life, most people have a dozen or so subpersonalities. And so how might you discern whether or not you have a subpersonality, an aspect of your persona that has been split off at some other point in lo- your life, How can you tell whether or not they're exerting their presence on you in present time? Well, typically you'll experience a state shift, a state in your your mood, a state in your emotions. It can be an explosion of anger. It can be a feeling of dread, a feeling of heaviness. There's some shift in your emotional state that seems unrelated to what's actually going on. And sometimes we say these things, I'm just feeling off. I'm just feeling heavy. There's something going on in the world, something going on energetically. Yeah, that energetic shift is happening inside you. And so what happens is once you build rapport, you can actually go in and ask, what part of me is requesting attention? Or if you're facing a decision, facing a new path, do all parts of me agree? You can check in with yourself and ask all parts of you. Does anyone dissent? Does anyone have a counterpoint of view? Does anyone think this is not a good idea? And I realize and I share all this with you with the understanding that it may sound like a play of imagination, like it doesn't sound real. It's not subjective. It's not necessarily scientific. Well, my friend, you live your entire life inside your head. You perceive and create reality based on what you choose to pay attention to. Your experience of reality, your experience of your life is totally and completely 100% subjective. And so if a little play of consciousness like I just shared with you creates healing and integration and a sense of completion, I'd say let's go with effectiveness. Let's not care whether or not it's true or not. Let's just go, is it productive? Is it valuable? Does it work for you? Well, that's it for today. This is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner directed as you engage in the epic adventure. (laughs) 